everybody. Welcome to episode four of the podcast that goes schnicked. This is Jason, your host. On this episode, we'll be talking about the Wolverine-based books for the second half of August. So if you haven't read those books yet, we're going to go in depth. So you might want to uh, read them first and come back when you're done. Alright, we'll get started here in a minute. Thanks. I just finished reading Wolverine 312 again for the second time and I still have to kind of gather myself a little bit after that last page. Pretty nuts. This story just keeps getting crazier. Let's go right to it. 312 is written by Jeff Loeb, art by Simone Bianchi, Colored by Simone Peruzzi. Lettered by Comic Crafts Albert Deschesny. Bianchi does the cover and there's a variant cover by J. Scott Campbell and Edgar Delgado. It's a nice cover. All the covers to this little arc have been pretty nice. This one has Wolverine and Remus fighting. And then kind of a punky looking saber tooth head behind them. And again, we have our three-panel review uh, to catch us up, basically, what you need to know. I mean, if you haven't read the other parts, you need to go back and read them because this has been a great story. But the Bare Bones catch-up is previously in Wolverine. Sabretooth is alive. Romulus is pulling the strings. And Wolverine's sole ally... A mysterious redhead has revealed herself to be Ramus, Romulus's sister. I don't know, is it more Roman to say Ramus or Remus? I mean, would there be an H? Would it be R E H M U S to Ramus? I don't know. But anyway, this is what happens next Sabretooth Reborn, Chapter 3. Remus and or Remus. <laughs> you know what? I'm from Texas. I'm going to go with Remus. If that's not right, then, you know, blame it on Fort Worth, where I was born. So we start off, Wolverine and Remus have gotten in a helicopter. They're above the Canadian Rockies, and we end up, and we get a little rehash of the very last page of the last issue. Where she introduces herself to Wolverine and asks her to kill Romulus. 
And Wolverine says, if there's been one constant in my life, aside from beer, my weakness for redheads, again, the redhead thing, is that life has been a cesspool of secrets and lies. And this is why we're in the actual Wolverine book. We can get our uh, snicked on the very first page. That's what you read Wolverine for. Then we get a nice spread where he starts to threaten Remus. He says, not a big fan of your family. How about I just kill you instead? That's a really nice spread. Um, I like the way Bianchi draws, or Bianchi, whatever, draws the reflection off of Wolverine's claws. It's really good. And she basically says, hey, I've saved your life twice in two days. That should count for something. And Wolverine begs the question that, as a reader, we're all asking, when Romulus likes to play games, how do I know he's not just using you to play me? And she basically says, I have answers about Romulus, Sabretooth, and every lie you've ever been told. If you want to throw all that away, and she tries to chuck him out the hel helicopter. He uses his claws to shuck into the side, spins around to grab her foot, and throws her out. But he says the helicopter pilot dips or banks. And so Remus grabs Wolverine. And we get our second snicked, not from Wolverine, but from Remus, as a metal claw, I'm assuming adamantium, pops out from under her wrist, kind of like Dawkins' other claw does. And she stabs Wolverine through the forearm. And they both fall and land in the snowy mountain down below. And we get an awesome panel of Wolverine standing up and brushing the snow off. Popping his claws at the same time. And we have a snick that goes around and behind him. And that visual is really cool. I mean, snick in general is an onomatopoeia that's used in the Wolverine comics. To denote the popping of his claws. And the fact that you have the words start on one side and kind of go behind him and come out the other and it's all kind of jumbled. That, that's, just, that's a stellar panel. Awesome, awesome panel. <laughs> then Wolverine's like, what the hell? Because Remus gets up and half of her is just adamantium laced to bone. And she says, like I said, I've been around a long time and she heals up pretty fast. Wolverine goes all Captain Obvious and goes, healing factor? No. And she's like, among other things. And then she says, you really don't remember, do you? The things they did to you at Weapon X. And you, it's cool. You get a cool panel of Logan's face reflected in Remus's iris, which is red also. Interesting. And he goes, make me smarter. And then she quotes the quodsum eris, if I'm saying that right. Don't really know Latin. Wolverine's like, I am what you will be. Romulus's catchphrase. And then she talks about how they've watched entire civilizations rise up and fall down. Hunic, Roman, Creek, Third Reich. And she says the weakness is because they were ran by humans. And then she says, but what if there were only mutants? Wolverine's like, a master race. 
Magneto and Apocalypse chase that dragon and it is badly. You see Wolverine's not really on board with this idea of trying to have the mutants put away with the humans. And he goes, she taunts him saying, there's so much he didn't want you to remember, so much that you agreed to. Almost like Romulus and Wolverine maybe had an agreement in the losing of some of his memories. And she questions, he questions her about Sabretooth. And she basically says, are you going to let out the berserker that you suppress? It's your true self. And Wolverine's like, that's a lie. I'm more than that. Just like that lie about the lupine race. And we get a cool drawing, cool panel. We have like two diverging pictures of that old evolutionary chart. Where you have the fish and the turtle and the wizard and the wizard thing that goes to a monkey to, you know, the Neanderthal. You know, the little walking up chart. And he shows Romulus's theory, which kind of does the same thing. But there's a circle on both sides with the monkey and the dog. And a one man evolves from the monkey and another man evolves from the dog and is a more feral version. And we get like those weeping, like those skeletons we saw in Wakanda, which are actually referenced here again in a minute. And he, she says that Romulus left those there on purpose because to cover up what he was really looking for there, that's Wolverine catches on vibranium because Romulus wanted to make a new adamantium for a new age. And she repeats kind of this idea that Romulus is hinted at and he doesn't want Wolverine dead. He wants him to be by his side. And this time Wolverine plays into it and says, fine, take me to him. And so we go to this place called the Amalfi Coast in Italy to a palace of sort of Romulus's. It looks like it's on a cliff on the coast that apparently he built a thousands of years ago. And he says there's no way they can get there without him knowing unless they teleport. So he brings along cloak and dagger. He says he's going to go first because he's got a scent. But really he had both scents, Sabretooth and Romulus. So Sabretooth attacks him. We get an awesome few panels here of Wolverine fighting. It basically says he's going to just go berserk on purpose. Then he lets the rage takes him. His eyesight goes blood red. And he does this by thinking about all the people Sabretooth has hurt. You know, talking about Psylocke, Boomer, Feral, Dagger, and ends with Silver Fox and Bold. Then he growls, that sets him off. He puts his claws through Sabretooth's chin and goes through his chin and comes out of his mouth. Pretty brutal fight here. He says, to be stop a monster, I gotta become one. And he throws Sabretooth through a door and he finds Romulus in a Weapon X canister or tube or whatever. So Wolverine kind of tries to calm down the stench and the smell of Weapon X. 
pulls him back to reality where he finds Romulus in the tank and he cuts it open and basically says, whatever it takes to kill you, I'm going there now. And you see in his eyes, he looks crazy even though he's kind of in control. And Romulus, you know, his skin has come off his face where Wolverine kind of broke open that Weapon X helmet. Kind of the classic Weapon X helmet that we've seen Wolverine in before. And now he has Atomanium in his bones. And he says, I am what you will be again. And Wolverine says, you spent too much time in that bathwater. It basically says, all those years of dealing, of dealing with Weapon X just to become a cheap imitation of me. And Romulus says, you always thought small. And we get some more snicks from people that aren't Wolverine. We actually get one, two, three, four. When Romulus pops all four of his claws one at a time. And now they're all animantium. And then it just goes nuts. Romulus says, You had me change your memories. Made you out to be the tortured test subject. Your search for the truth has brought you back to the biggest lie you ever told yourself. The Weapon X program was, is, and always will be your idea and he jumps at Wolverine with all four of his claws out on both sides we get a luckily we get a nice Austin Powers shot where Wolverine's claws are blocking his crotch Wolverine tries to tell himself it's all lies but then he has a sick feeling in the pit of his stomach that he's telling him the truth and that's where we get our big WTF moment This, this issue, again, is awesome. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's completely, completely crazy. The, oh, excuse me. The writing and the art are both amazing. And this cliffhanger is actually like a bonafide cliffhanger. Like, this is the real deal. I don't know. I'm about 50-50. On whether I think they're going to really be this crazy. And it turns out that Wolverine did somehow do this to himself, so to speak. Or if Romulus is just playing another card and another game as another way for him to pull the strings and to try to get Wolverine going in the wrong direction again. Or manipulating him into going Romulus's direction. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, does Jeff Loeb have, like, the clear from the Marvel offices to to write a story where Wolverine really, where we really change his past that much that he is really, like, the master architect behind his own problems and own loss of memories and, and turned himself into Weapon X on purpose somehow and then chose to forgot. So has he worked with Romulus before? Like were they together? Or is this just all another game? And I don't know. And my head's kind of spinning with the possibilities of, of the implications of this last page here. 
And regardless of how it plays out, I feel like to a certain degree, this has to be a game changer. And not just a, oh, look at this issue will forever change the status quo, like they say all the time. But this one really might. And if it does, it could be crazy. I don't really... I don't really know what else to say. I'm kind of in a little bit of... I'm a little bit dumbfounded by this issue. And I'm truly excited to see where we end up next issue. Uh, the preview of the cover is Wolverine at the neck of Sabretooth with his claws. I think that's Sabretooth. It looks like Sabretooth's headband, so I don't think it's Romulus. They both now have the same, like, bottom things. But man, I just, I don't know. I don't know where this is going, but I can't wait to find out. So I give this, I give this issue three out of three claws again. Uh, this arc is blowing my mind, has me going, has me thinking about all the possibilities. Like I said last time, exactly what I want of a comic book and it delivers big time so three out of three claws uh, I feel like I should talk longer considering this is the main Wolverine book but I don't really have anything else to say please 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 I beg of you again if you're listening to this email me your theories uh, the email for us is uh, snitchcast at yahoo.com that's S-N-I-K-T-C-A-S-T at yahoo.com. Uh, it's in the show notes, as always, in the bottom of the episode description. I want to know what people are thinking after reading this. Are you shocked? Or maybe you're not as in tune with this story arc. Maybe you think this is just a gimmick and you're not really buying it. Uh, let me know. You know, whether whether you're as deep we delved into the story as I am and and what you think is going to happen next um I don't really have a theory yet I don't I'm I'm torn but maybe you have a better idea of what you think is going to happen then email in and let me know and I'll uh get to it address it talk about it some more I would love to hear from you guys okay we'll keep going then um all right hold on and for our next section, we have And the X-Men, which will focus on Wolverine and the X-Men number 15. And hallelujah, it may not be raining men, but it's raining some Wolverine back into our book. After a two-issue complete absence, Wolverine is back front and center in this issue. And, let's see, it's written by Jason Aaron. Penciled by Jorge Molina. Inked by Norman Lee. Colored by Maury Hollowell. Lettered by Chris Eliopoulos. And the cover is by Stuart Eminen and Marte Gracia. I like this cover a lot. I had mentioned, um, I don't know, on one of the episodes that when I had seen it in one of the ads that I thought maybe it was like a tribute cover. Kind of a homage to maybe an old X-Men cover. And I still 
I think it has that feeling, but I went and perused like a cover gallery of like old X-Men issues and I couldn't find anything that this was like directly paying tribute to. But it's still a really, really good cover. It's a great like team picture and action cover. So that makes a great comic book cover. Yeah, Wolverine leading the charge and his hand-picked team of Rachel Gray, Professor X, Iceman, Angel, and Beast. All coming behind him. And you, you want you it makes you want to see this team in action, which we don't really get to do here, but I have a feeling we're about to very soon somewhere. Um all these issues recently have been AVX tie-ins. They've been good ones, and I'm, what I'm about to say is not to try to diminish their importance. I feel like this one is like super essential, at least the way I'm reading it, to the AVX storyline. And I guess really, I just feel like it really develops what I feel like is about to happen. Uh, we get a little note here that says we're supposed to read this after AVX 10. And I just have a feeling that what happens here with some of the character development and with Wolverine kind of gathering his team of X-Men is going to be a big part of issue 11, I'm assuming. I could be wrong, but that's the feeling I get. So the, the short answer of this issue is that Wolverine goes back to his school to gather up his team, his super team of X-Men that he's going to lead back into battle. And it's basically the team from the cover. And that's awesome. That said, there is so much going on in this issue, it's almost hard to fathom. I mean, Jason Aaron, as... It's a very wordy issue, but in a good way. Kind of in a... You know, I'm not the biggest fan of some of his more recent stuff, but it kind of reminded me of... Remember back when Chris Claremont was really, really awesome? It kind of reminded me of that. So it's, it's, there's a lot going on, and it's really wordy, but it, you don't feel like it's too much. If anything, you feel like you can get your 399s worth. So... I don't know, it's, it's wordy and busy in a good way, but there's a whole lot in there and to make me just want to read it over and over again, which is good. Uh, nothing wrong with a book that makes you want to reread it. So obviously, I've done nothing but profess great admiration for Jason Aaron, and this is another beautifully written book. And just like last issue, we have Jorge Molina and his art is also very beautiful in this book. Really nice. And it fits the story really well. You know, I talked about it on kind of our little mini episode last time that I thought Bacala's art really fit the mood of the struggle of Rachel as she was trying to hunt down Hope and Wolverine. I feel like this art by Molina really fits the tone of I don't know, kind of the the optimism of Wolverine's now his X-Men 
and the Avengers. You know, Hope in Avengers 10 kind of has a turning point in the battle where she channels the dragon of the Iron Fist place in, in Kunlun. And she actually, like, kind of whoops up on Cyclops a little bit. And also, you know, in those, in the last couple issues of AVX, Cyclops and Ileana, I'm not Cyclops, Colossus and Ileana took each other out. And so we're down to the, we are down from the Phoenix Five now to the Phoenix Two, which is just Cyclops and Emma Frost. So keep in mind that when Hope takes Cyclops out, he's even more powerful than he's been. Has even a bigger share, actually half now, I guess, of the Phoenix power. So it's a pretty big feat. So the X-Men are obvious, or not, sorry, the X-Men with Wolverine and the Avengers are obviously have a much better feeling. You know, uh, Spider-Man, in his narration in AVX number 9, talked about how he was training Hope and Kunlun. Whenever anybody came through the portal, it was always bad news. Well, now the Avengers and Wolverine's team are getting just a brief glimpse of what might be some good news. So, And they kind of dissect what Hope did to try to figure out kind of how to help her replicate it or maybe even... Tony Stark might even be trying to replicate it for others. Not really sure exactly how that's going to play out, but it's exciting. Um, so I, I don't even really know how to go through this issue. There's so much in here. I'm just going to hit some of the highlights. Because basically, I mean, the crux of the issue is just Wolverine comes back to the school and gets his team together to head back out into battle. We open up with him and Hope on the school grounds out by the lake. There's like an X-Men cemetery, which is really cool. There's some cool like headstones and statues and basically Wolverine feels bad that Hope is in this situation. She says she doesn't blame him for quote unquote selling her out to the Avengers that she's glad he did because she's on their side and she sees the error of the way with Cyclops and they look at the statue of Jean Grey and Hope asks is that what she was a martyr and Wolverine is like well she was a whole lot of things and Hope and Flex you know he says you loved her didn't you Wolverine says yeah we all did but yeah me most especially I guess well me and the one other guy Obviously referring to Cyclops because they were married for a while. Cyclops and Jean Grey, not Cyclops and Wolverine. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> That's how this story is going to end. When AVX is all said and done, Wolverine and Cyclops are going to get married. <laughs> that would be like the worst marriage ever. It would be in each other's throat constantly. It would be like the Honeymooners or Archie Bunker <laughs> or Married with Children. It would be like the someone should do like a sitcom comic strip of the resolution of AVX where Wolverine and Cyclops get married. That would be awesome. <laughs> you can put Cyclops in like an apron. <laughs> oh no, he's more of the jerk so I guess he'd be the 
You'd be the one in the wife beater, and Wolverine would have to trade his normal wife beater for an apron and a rolling pin. <laughs> or you can pop a rolling pin out of his fist, like instead of claws. <laughs> you pop a little rolling pin out and chase Cyclops around the apartment because he doesn't do anything. He just sits on the couch and watches TV. And he can have a TV remote in his visor <laughs> so he can change channels by blinking. Wow, so, someone should really do this. I would love to see this. And you can send it to me. You know, or I'm hoping either by the end of this episode or definitely the next one to have a Facebook page up and you can post it on there. I want to see it. Somebody get on it right now. Anyway, back to the story. Wolverine says, yeah, if Jean was still here, none of this would be happening. And Hope says... Maybe so, but she's not here. She's not coming back. You're stuck with me. And then, this is awesome. Wolverine says, No, kid. This ain't on you no more. This time around, we'll all be there. X-Men and Avengers. Which, is not only like a sign of what's to come in the rest of this series, that there's definitely more X-Men are being disenfranchised I mean, even Magneto, at the end of AVX number 10, which we're supposed to read this after, sends out, like, a telepathic cry for help to Professor X that those running Utopia have lost their way. But I think this is also a nice little plug and a lead-in, because we know, after all this is said and done, we're not getting a uh, Wolvie-Cyclops marriage, but we are going to get the Uncanny Avengers which is going to be a combo team of X-Men and Avengers. So this is a nod to that as well. But more importantly, I think it's an immediate nod to a lot of the X-Men are going to be joining forces with the Avengers for the last push of the AVX storyline. And that has me really excited. As an X-Men fan, I've said before, I'm not in favor of the Phoenix Five, and the Avengers have been right. And this is the moment I've kind of been waiting for, where we get more X-Men seeing the light of day and coming over to fight with the Avengers and put an end to this madness. So I'm stoked, and that line has me stoked and motivated and whatever. If I was there, I'd be ready to fight. So we go down to Beast Lab, and we get some really cool development with Brew. You know, he's kind of the first, like, brood hybrid and so he hasn't been a slave to like his nature or whatever and that's he's been a really cool character we'll get even more development with him because he's been like a good student in the school but now we're kind of seeing like he's really really smart and so he actually figures out the equations that beast and iron man are working on <laughs> there's a lot of funny lines in this book um i'm gonna try to catch some of them uh, what's her name? Agent Brand, right? From Sword is making fun of Iron Man's theory because he says that she says there's holes in it and accuses him of being back on the sauce. And Iron Man says those aren't holes, Agent Brand. That's just where the kung fu power comes in. <laughs> she comes around to ask. 
But how exactly does one quantify Kung Fu power? And Iron Fist goes, kicks per minute? <laughs> I that was really funny. Just one of the funny things. And that's when Brew figures out, like, you know, he goes, just off the top of my head, but I believe it addresses at least some of your concerns with something like this work. And they're trying to figure out even if they can take the Phoenix power away, where do you put it? <laughs> Iron Man says, I don't know, Missouri maybe? Is there anything even in that state? <laughs> oh, that was funny. I actually think Missouri's pretty. Um, I have some friends that had a bed, their parents had a bed and breakfast up there and we went up there a few years ago. So I like the state. I still thought it was a funny joke. And so they're all surprised at Brew and then Iron Man starts smoothing to him. And he's like, what do you want? An un you need a summer job, Brew? An unpaid internship? Would you like to be adopted? Anything you want. You just tell your Uncle Tony. And then he talks about how his favorite, or Brew, Brew answers about how his favorite hero is Nova. And Wolverine, and I'm sorry, Iron Man's like, Hey, Kitty's a pers close personal friend of mine, and now by extension of yours as well. And Bruce's like, oh, wow, oh, gee, kind of puts his hands together. So, and then we switch to Kitty Pride and Iceman, and we get some cool development in their burgeoning relationship, which I think is cool. Um, I don't really know what's going to happen to Colossus when all is said and done. He no longer has a Phoenix power. And so I'm wondering if his head will clear up and what he's going to think about what he's done. And I've talked about that in prior episodes, so I won't go too much into that. But I feel like it's time to kind of, at least for now, move past the Kitty Colossus thing. And so I think the Kitty Iceman thing is a natural fit. You know, I kind of questioned whether there's going to be what I thought, or depending on how I order this episode, maybe I'm going to question another potential relationship involving Wolverine and his cast of characters, but this one feels good. It feels right. And Kitty says, the plan is for you to come back in one piece. And Iceman says, yeah, Kitty, that's sort of always my plan. So you get some good, like, classic Iceman dialogue. Jason Aaron writes Iceman really well. And Marjorie Lou's starting to, so... That to me is exciting because Iceman, when he's good, he's really, really good. When he's bad, it's usually not because he's bad. It's usually because people don't take the time to get him. Get what he's about. Like the kind of, you know, I'll talk about in the astonishing section coming up. Like to me, the essential Iceman is that He's cocky, but it's in a endearing, playful way, not in like a jerk-off kind of way. And I feel like right now, Jason Aaron, ever since he's taken over this book, has nailed that. And we're starting to see that something astonishing now, too. So it's a good time for Iceman. Uh, and I, I like that. I think that's really cool. Uh, and he admits having to go fight his one of his best friends who's gone mad with cosmic power. 
So then we get a little talking about how, like, a lot of the kids have fled Utopia and come to the school, which is cool. So you kind of feel like maybe the idea of Utopia is coming to a close with this story. Um, not sure if that'll happen exactly, but I kind of feel like everything... The balance of power in the X-Universe is shifting back to Westchester, and I like that. I thought Utopia was cool. It made for some really good stories. I liked it being out kind of in California, its own little island. It was a great story. I'm kind of interested to see what can happen back in the school setting now. And either way, it'll be cool. I'll be happy. But I think it's interesting that they seem to be hinting the more and more the X-Men are shifting back all the way to the school. At least as far as like official X-Men activities go. Not to say there won't be a bunch of other teams running around doing other stuff like there always is, but I just I wonder if Utopia is gonna do something else or go away. And so we have a bunch of little like pairing offs. We have Martha and Evan, Krakoa and Dust, and then we have a cool little scene with Professor X and Rachel Gray walking around. Rachel kind of asks, is it bad that part of me still wants to be with my dad? At least that's, I'm assuming that's what's being inferred, is that the reason she still feels torn is because Cyclops is her dad. And Professor X says, he can be saved. He will be saved, I promise you. I refuse to lose another student to the Phoenix. And you kind of believe him. And part of it, you know, I kind of got lost. I was talking about the optimism of this book. And I was trying to get to the point that Molina's art really fits it. That his clean, beautiful style with the nice, clean inks by, um, what was it, Hollowell? No, how use the colors. Norman Lee, the inker. Really nice, clean ink work. And all of that, the art and the inking and the coloring, all of it leads up to the, just kind of this optimism, this turning point in the story. And all that together, with Jason Aaron's writing, you believe Professor X. Even if you weren't a comic book reader and you knew that this was going to turn out okay, Though, honestly, until I started seeing the promos for Uncanny Avengers, I did kind of wonder if Cyclops might die in this. I know we have X-Men from the 60s coming back around the bend, but the Cyclops design in the Uncanny Avengers picture still has kind of the V-shaped visor now that he has with the Phoenix stuff. So I don't think that's going to end up being like Juvenile Scott Summers, but I guess it could be. I don't know. What do you guys think? Let me know. Email in what you think is going to happen there. But at this point, I believe Professor X, that Cyclops will be redeemed somehow. You can get a cool little thing, because they, they talk about how they're the two most powerful telepaths. And Quentin Quire objects, and they have a little argument about kind of his rebellious attitude. And Rachel gets mad because he says that Professor X is irrelevant. 
which he kind of has been in the comic for a while, so it's kind of a criticism, not criticism, commentary on his role in the comics. And Rachel gets mad, says she's going to give him detention. Professor X, like, Professor X is like, no, that's exactly what he wants. And he makes a telepathic announcement to the whole school that Quentin Quire is going to be running for student council president. And I thought that was really funny. And he, of course, gets really pouty. And then, what? We have Paige and Toad going on a date? I thought kind of from the last time where Toad kind of had that, like, weird fantasy with Paige's dead skin having tea with him that it was going to just be a fantasy, but apparently they're interested in each other. That's kind of cool, and hey, even then Toad can get some loving in the X-Men universe, and that's cool. In fact, she actually ends up peeling into some toad-like skin, and they go off calivanting through the caverns of Krakoa. And then we switch over to the recovery room with the Shi'ar, with Gladiator saying that he's going to take Kid Gladiator back. He doesn't want to go. And then he says goodbye to his team. They tell him to say goodbye to his teammates. And I know he had x-ray vision. But he looks through the wall at a classroom full of mutants. And instead of going to say goodbye, he just says goodbye. And then Scotty beams him up to the Enterprise. And the Shi'ar getting ready to leave. And... Gladiator tells Deathbird she's not going to come. That she has things to do here. And that he sees the desire of her heart. That she wants to stay. And he gives her his blessing to stay and fight. Which Jason Aaron is trying to move her character along. Which to be honest I kind of wish. And I, I see from the plot why it has to be this way. From what's happened, that Gladiator doesn't want his son to be in danger from the Phoenix Force. He's basically kind of saying they're they're giving up on Earth. And that's why he has to come home, because he doesn't want him to be on Earth with all this Phoenix nonsense. So I understand plot-wise the decision they're making. I personally kind of wish that Deathbird was going back into space and King Gladiator was staying just because I like him a lot and I kind of tolerate Deathbird though she was getting better but still anyway I just it was my preference I wish that Deathbird was going back to the Shi'ar Empire and King Gladiator was staying here to be in our X-Book so tell me what you guys think again I wish I had somebody here to disagree or agree with me to say what you're stupid or yeah right on either or but since I don't I'm relying on you guys so please send me something please 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 so then we have an awesome thing where Bobby is meeting Logan in the office and it's a personal conversation but that's Iceman and Wolverine in case you're just catching up with us it's a really cool conversation. And Iceman starts off by saying, You were right, I was wrong. And I have my job back now. And Wolverine reaches for some scotch or whiskey, maybe. And says, I'm not Scott, you know. And Iceman's like, A lecture. Okay, great. That's alright, I deserve it. 
go ahead and give me the full-on berserker. Which I think his, like, smart-ass comment about referring to a lecture from Wolverine as being a berserker rage is hilarious. I laughed really hard when I read that, and I'm still kind of chuckling about it. But Wolverine basically says it was never meant to be a dictatorship. He says, when I put together my team, I wanted people who would stand up and tell me when they thought I was full of crap. And that's what you did. Kind of insinuating that even though Iceman may have been wrong, at least he voiced his opinion and stood up for what he thought he believed, even if it's kind of changing. So Wolverine respects that. And he pours Iceman a shot and says, keep it up. And they clink the glasses. <laughs> Iceman. Classic Iceman right here. Really funny. Because keep it up. Okay, you asked for it. You're missing far too often to be an effective headmaster. You stab people way too much. Which I thought was great. Because you make me drink things that burn holes in my stomach. And still with the blue and yellow. Really? He makes fun of his like old school X-Men uniform. Wolverine's like, alright, that's enough for today. Save some for after we save the world. And then you get another, some more development with Hope, which we're getting like more out of Hope in this book than we've gotten in, in a while. And aside, aside from her training with Spider-Man, which we got some good stuff there. But her and Idy are talking. You kind of get the feeling that Idy's kind of like her best friend out of those group of the five lights that she found and tried to do in that Generation Hope book, which wasn't all that great. And you kind of feel like of those group that Idy and her have a special bond, and that's cool. So I'd like to see them both stick around. And then we have the first graduate of this version of the school, of the Jean Grey school, and it's Angel. And so they bump him up to graduate assistant, and he's super excited, so excited he takes off all its clothes and flies up in the air with a yahoo then we have Beast longingly looking at a picture we don't know what it is Professor X comes up puts his hand on his shoulder Henry it's time and he looks around he sees Idy and Hope saying goodbye as Hope is going back with Iron Fist Iceman giving Kitty a hug which I'm not gonna lie you would think if you're trying to impress a girl, you would ice down before hugging her goodbye instead of trying to make her really, really cold. I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but just every... All the girls I know, either from dating or friends or even my family, is that generally speaking... And if you think I'm ridiculous and get mad, let me know. <laughs> Bring it on. But generally speaking, the females that I know always get cold a lot easier than some of the guys I know. So you would think it's kind of mean for him to stay iced up to hug her goodbye. And just, yeah, I thought that was funny. A funny art choice there. For all the praise I've been giving it, I thought that was weird. You also have Brew shaking hands with Iron Man, which... I can't, again, I thought that was a cool relationship. I hope we see something else come out of that. And then Beast looks longingly at an old picture of the original X-Men. And then we have the awesome last page. The first half of the panel is like this movie poster 
X-Men team leaving the match and going out ready for kind of this last ditch battle. And it's basically the team from the front, like I said. It's just a really nice pose. And you have the students lined up watching them leave. I'm not sure whether they're going to come back. But again, the art and the story in general, just this issue feels optimistic. So they don't look too down. Then you do end up with King Gladiator kind of in a space window, kind of looking down on the earth, wishing he could still be there. And it's cool. I think the development with Tim was really cool this issue because he's kind of been giving off kind of the bravado. The only reason he's there is because he likes the fight and the adventure. But then as he leaves, and really just the last couple of issues overall, you kind of feel like that below that hard exterior, there's a guy who really is making friends and enjoying being here. And so you feel bad that he has to leave, besides the fact that it, I'm going to miss him as a character. I, and I hope he still is around doing something somewhere. Either something happens and he has to come back after all the Phoenix stuff is done or whatever. I don't know. But he ended up being a cool character. I actually like him better than his dad. Not necessarily visually. I don't really like his like broken up mohawk as much as kind of Gladiator's Finn. But as a character, I, I like him right now a little bit better I think so anyway I think because next issue we have a Hellfire Club story with the new kid Hellfire Club so I'm thinking that's not going to directly follow this issue I think this really leads right into AVX 11 and the art for AVX 11 it looks like maybe Cyclops and Emma are going to fight but then in the un uncanny X-Men issue coming up, they're making out on the cover. So I'm not real sure what's going on there. And then AVX 12, the tagline, there can only be one. And it looks like you have Hope and Scar Scarlet Witch like combining powers for like whatever. I mean, 12 is the last issue, right? So that's like the last battle. So anyway... I feel like this book is going to go directly into AVX 11 and then we'll kind of come back here afterwards for the Hellfire Club story which I'm going to assume is probably either right at the end of AVX or actually probably post AVX. So, alright. Well, I'm going to give this issue three claws. There was a lot in here. This issue was jam-packed with information and story and character development. And it was all really, really good. So, three claws for this one. Alright. Okay, so now we have Astonishing X-Men number 53. This issue is written by Marjorie Liu. Art by Mike Perkins. Colored by J. David Ramos. Lettered by V.C.'s Joe Caramagna. Covered by Dustin Weaver and Rochelle Rosenberg. As always, I apologize for misspeaking on anybody's name there. I try my best, but I don't always get it. 
So we have a really nice cover by Justin Weaver. I talked about that last time, so I won't go into too much detail. I'll just say that it really pops. The colors and the art is really nice. The different bob motifs works really well. It just, it looks really good. Alright, so basically to sum up, here's what happens in this issue. Remember last time at the end of the wedding, Karma showed back up, uh, talking about the North Star Kyle wedding. Karma showed back up, Wolverine went out in the woods, and the mysterious woman with the nanotechs blew up Wolverine's stomach. So we open this issue with a burnt Wolverine kind of healing on a lab table. And, you know, we have Beast and all the science X-Men looking at him. And they determine they find these little nano worms inside. And they determine that's kind of what blew him up. Wolverine kind of wakes up. They talk about it. Basically, they tie all this back to a company called Hachi Tech. So, Iceman, Gambit, and Northstar go to a Hachi Tech demo to uh, try to talk to the owner, and they do. And the owner just flat out admits, Oh, you're going to talk to me because I blew up Wolverine. I took over Karma. I made Karma take over Kyle. And put everybody in danger. Oh, and I killed the Marauders, but that's okay because they were just clones. She basically says that the whole thing was to test her new nanotechnology. And she basically said, well, who better to test it on than the X-Men? After all, if I can beat you, I can beat anyone. And then she goes on to say that she used to be a mutant but she lost her powers like most of the rest of them on M-Day after House of M. So the X-Men get mad and she's kind of goading them on purpose because they're in a public place, but the X-Men kind of hold off. But Beast uses the sample, one of the nanoworms he took out of Wolverine and finds out that, it's sending, that it is sending a signal and right before it blows up, he determines it, it was sending a signal to an old Russian base in Georgia. So the X-Men team, the astonishing team, fly off in a Blackbird to the location in Georgia. And they basically find all these people that have been experimented on. Experimented on they were promised jobs, but then they were detained and experimented on. Then they find karma, and they try to get everybody out, but none of the patients or experiments will leave. One woman decides he's going to risk it, but as he crosses a yellow highway divider-looking line, he blows up. And his explosion hits a, a rack of bombs that were conveniently stored there. Because he just put bombs on a rack, like at Target or Walmart. Anyway, his explosion ignites all these bombs. And the whole place buries, comes down on top of the X-Men. And buries them inside a Cecilia Reyes bubble. And that's where we leave off. 
So I'm going to say this issue is much better, I think, than the last few. Um, I, don't know, I, I actually really liked it. The, the story, I feel like, is going someplace. I wasn't sure that it was, but I feel like, you know, I, I talked last time that I believed and hoped that Marjorie Lou would catch her stride, and well, I, I want to see a streak, so I'll hold off complete judgment. But I feel like this issue really hits a lot better, uh, both writing and art-wise. I feel like Mike Perkins uh, did a much, I don't know, I feel like just his art, is improved from previous issues. And like I said, it was never bad. But I guess actually pretty good. It's growing on me here a little bit in this issue. I guess, you know, what I would say is that maybe, you know, Mar- Marjorie Lee, this run has been a, f- a few issues, like six-ish, maybe. And this should be like, it should have been like her third story. Like, she should have done all the other issues in one, and then the wedding issue, and then this one. I feel like most of the other build-up, um, I don't know, kind of could have, could have done, it could have been compressed, and I think that would have made it better. I feel like this issue is, is a lot better. The dialogue is much better. The characters are developed much, much better, which I think is it's supposed to be and has been in the past a strength of Lou. And I hadn't really felt like we got as much of that, but I feel like we do in this issue a lot. I feel like the characters with their conversations to each other are developed a lot better, uh, particularly between like Beast and Cecilia. Reyes, when they're talking over like when they're trying to kind of figure out what's going on with the nano worm there's some good conversation there about her motives and her friendship with beast and you know it kind of alludes to them having a, a deeper friendship as far as like oh well, we've been emailing but it's nice to be have some more person to person contact with you uh, i just i feel like a lot of the character interactions are a lot better just from character to character, and really developed with the dialogue. Even, like, kind of the the thing they've been playing with between Warbird and Iceman, it, it works better in this issue, partially because I feel like Iceman is truer to himself. You know, he, he does this, like, giant Iceman thing to try to distract the guards so the X-Men can get in. And... Yeah, Warbird says this. And see, even like the Warbird, like, dumb alien joke was actually funny this time. At least I thought so, because instead of talking about eating cats and dogs for snacks, she's like, man of ice, that was an impressive display. And that's, you know, kind of alien, caveman-y, whatever, but it was funnier, I think, than, I don't know, the, the joke worked better on me this time. And then Iceman's like, yeah, I know. I can get more awesome every day or something like that. And then that was better and truer to Iceman's character. Kind of a, not a cocky jerk, but kind of like a playful cockiness that Iceman's always had. And so that worked for me a lot better. I feel like 
uh, in this little run so far that when Iceman's tried to be funny, he just kind of come off as a jerk. But this one comes off as the more sincere, or maybe maybe insincere, where the sarcasm is more playful and comes off really playful. And that's what I think of when I think of Iceman. So I like that. Um, I really, I like the idea that there was a good like page and a half devoted specifically to North Star and Kyle, and then even a conversation with Gambit and Iceman and North Star before that, where they talk about, you know, hey, you got a honeymoon to tend to. Why don't you sit this mission out? Because your husband's more important, and North Star's exactly. It's because he's so important that I have to go on this mission. Because these are the people that attacked Kyle. They made it personal. I have to make sure they can't ever do that to him again. So because he is so important, I can't sit this one out. And that was cool. And then it's just a really good page and a half, like I said, between North Star and Kyle themselves in their apartment, in bed. And I don't know. I I really appreciated it because I, I enjoyed the wedding in this run because of kind of what it stood for and because like I said I I feel like the X-Men have always taken on social issues from a very progressive point of view I've always enjoyed that but I will admit there was a part of me that worried that as good as that was and as cool as it was there was a part of me that worried it would just kind of be something that happened to make a statement. And I don't believe at all it was a gimmick. I don't think, that's not what I'm saying. I guess I was just kind of worried it would just not really be built up. It would just kind of be something that happened. The statement was made. Okay, they're married. It'll stay married, but it would just kind of be a non-factor, I guess, was my concern. I don't know. This the conversation between Kyle and North Star, I thought really deepens the relationship and makes it, it takes it from that point to where it's a gay marriage to it's just two people being married, having conversations. What is it like to be married to an X-Men regardless of gender or sexual preference? Like that was a conversation that could have been had between Scott and Jean, or anybody else, or I guess now I should say uh, Scott and Emma. Sorry for the flashback there, or the nostalgia. But I think that's important that it says, okay, yeah, we made, we talked about, and made a point about gay marriage, but, but the whole point of gay marriage is that really what it should be is that it is just a marriage, a normal marriage. And that's how it should be looked at. And so I, I think they did a really good job with that, making it feel very real, very sincere. And you actually feel like these two people, that Kyle and Northstar, are in love with each other. And that is not... I don't know, this issue went a long way to erase any of my concerns or doubts about the way their marriage would be handled. And I was really proud of, of the way Marjorie Lou wrote this issue. And just, I don't know, 
she, as much as I kind of have not enjoyed the last few issues, she's really made North Star grow on me even more because he is kind of still a jerk. And even Kyle says that when he talks about, hey, you're not a, you're a jerk, not a murderer. And, but I don't know, he's becoming a more likable jerk and most importantly, a more interesting jerk. You want all kinds of characters on your X-Men team. So you need a guy that's a little bit of a jerk. But you want him to be interesting and not two-dimensional. And I feel like in the past sometimes, Northstar has been very two-dimensional. But I feel like now, especially in this issue, I'm really seeing him fleshed out in a way that, that makes sense and that even though he's kind of abrasive, he's still more affable or more likable as a character. So that was really cool. So I like I also really like the idea of the X-Men as public targets in a way. And the Hachi Tech lady talks about that. Like I said, there's the good line that's actually very true where she says, If I can beat you, I can beat anyone. And then she talks about she basically when I talked about her goading and one of the things she says is she basically challenges them by admitting everything she did and says, but you can't do anything about it because we're in a public place. You don't want to do anything that defames the X-Men specifically or the mutant community at large. And she makes a good line that it's hard being the quote-unquote good minority. I don't know. I like that concept a lot. And I really like the last page where you have this big, like, barren land where the warehouse or weapon, the old Russian facility exploded and imploded on itself. And you get a little square in the bottom that's kind of like a see-through square. And you see the X-Men and Cecilia Reyes's force field buried under the rubble. And it's kind of made them seem really small, like they're really deep down under there. And that they actually have a, a really challenging aspect for them to have to get out from under this rubble. So no, just all of that together, I just I really like where the story is going. I'm actually I'm actually interested to see what happens next, which I can't really say that's been necessarily true about the Marjorie Lou run so far, but now she's got me. So this issue, number 53, is the turning point to that. I do have a couple of funny, funny things to point out that were at least funny to me. Wolverine, when he sits up and he's kind of growing his skin and stuff back, he looks like the guy from uh, Star Wars Episode Four in the Tatooine Cantina that's like, he taps him on the shoulder and he's like, my friend doesn't like you. And they, you know... Luke apologizes and he goes I don't like you either like I think Wolverine in this picture the way Perkins draws him looks exactly like that guy and then a couple of panels above Beast looks like one of the first movie Planet of the Apes characters now that was funny but there's a funny thing on that same page so everything kind of I laughed at was on the same page 
Well, they're all kind of talking about, like, trying to figure out this nanotechnology thing. The nanoworm, as I like to call it. And they're just in the middle of a conversation, and Iceman just kind of makes a little ice ramp and goes side, like goes up at an angle sideways in the middle of the floor. And just keeps talking. And it, it's kind of true to Iceman, like I said, the whole playful thing, but it definitely made me laugh. That was kind of all three things on that page. Kind of made me laugh. Anyway, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that this issue, I feel like, well, maybe not as important as the marriage issue, that it's so far the best issue of Marjorie Lou's run. And so I'm going to give it two claws. And I don't know, I'm just, this is the most interested I've been in this book since she's taken over writing, and I guess I'll just leave it at that. So yeah, two out of three claws for Astonishing X-Men number 53. And so next issue, we have uh, Karma on the cover, which is kind of too bad. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things I really enjoyed about this issue was that Karma was barely in it, and when she was, she was completely unconscious. <laughs> just knocked out. Oh, well. Is it bad of me that I wish she just was kind of in a coma for a long time from this story? Is that bad? Is that wrong? I don't know. Anyway. Okay, so now we have not one, but two issues of Uncanny X-Force. Issue number 29 and issue number 30. And we're going to hit them both. Alright, issue 29 is where we'll start. Written by Rick Remender. Art by Julian Totino Tedesco. Inks on the interlude are by John Lucas. Colors by Dean White. And the cover is by Jerome Pena and Dean White. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Issue 30 is also written by Rick Remender with art by Dave Williams, color by Dean White, cover by Jerome Opinia and Dean White, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Okay, so where last we left X-Force, they were attacked by the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, pretty much beaten. Uh, they kidnapped Kid Apocalypse, but just as they were all about to be disintegrated in a bomb, Psylocke reached out for the last vestige of Gateway and they jumped to a different place and a different time. And basically they, basically they go to an alternate X-Force minority report future where Psylocke is kind of in charge and they um, started doing preemptive executions of people who aren't going to do bad things. And Psylocke doesn't like this. And so she decides to prevent it. She's going to commit. And last time I said I can't remember what this was called. But Remender or one of the editors. Does me a favor and list it in the previous section. So it says Psylocke runs off and commits seppuku. Or seppuku. 
It depends on where you're from, I guess, on how you pronounce that. But she does that to prevent the future from unfolding. So our first chapter is Final Execution, Chapter 5, No Trust in Tomorrow. This cover is really cool. We have um, present-day Psylocke being pushed out a window in a tall building with future alternate future Wolverine, alternate future Punisher. And to be honest, I'm not sure who that other person is. <laughs> Never really occurred to me that I'm, I don't know who the old blonde guy is. I don't know if that's supposed to be Cable, maybe? Because I can't see the other side. Cable's one of the three guys that's kind of integral and mixing it up with Psylocke. So I'm going to assume that's Cable. That's what I'm going with. Maybe I'm wrong. Feel free to correct me. But it's a great cover. Very nicely done again by Opania. And good colors on the cover too. I like the, uh, the pink glass. Kind of a 80s post-apocalyptic looking cover. And it works. Works nice. So, basically, uh, Psylocke has tried to kill herself. And so future Psylocke is starting to fade out of existence. Kind of in a back to future kind of way. She goes all like glowy and starting to disappear like immediately from reality. Which is interesting. And she would think like if Psylocke tries to prevent this whole future that everybody would start to disappear. But I guess it'll go in increments. And so right now it's just future Psylocke. And so future Wolverine and future Domino are running to see what's wrong. And we get a good line that says, Pym called it a time quake. One big boot to the timeline's ass. So that's kind of what we're, the theory of what's going on here. And so Psylocke knows that her younger self is dying and then that's what's killing her. So they're like, you have to find her. And it turns out that Psylocke missed. Her aim was not true. And the sword missed her spine by inches. And she laments this future. She says it's a peace bought through murder and fascism. But then she says, I see where it came from though. Because these are kind of the steps we're taking when I joined Wolverine's killers. So basically she's kind of saying that she disagrees with this future, but she kind of knows how we get there just based on what X-Force is. So that's an interesting uh, internal struggle there. Very, very well written. Very interesting. So if she's trying to finish the job with her last breath, trying to like get that sword wedged over a little bit. And then future Punisher shows up. And I just got to say, um... You know, I said last time I'm not a big fan of, like, alternate future stuff as much. Probably not as much as most other comic book guys. But it is pretty badass seeing uh, the Punisher on X-Force. Even though it's not, like, our modern X-Force. Even though it's an alternate future. And so I guess it doesn't really count. But it's still cool to see... Especially with, like I said, that really cool like armor chest plate skull he has. 
and he looks old. And then he's on like the X hover bike, and he has a big X patch on his arm. And it just, I don't know, there's something about that idea that's really cool. Um, you know, my first real exposure to Wolverine, or one of my first exposures, was in Punisher War Journal. So in my head, I kind of tie Wolverine to Punisher anyway. So, at least to a degree. It was, it was that little two-part story was the second time I ever read Wolverine. So, it was definitely, I don't know. And I spoke about my kind of affinity, or used to used to be affinity for the Punisher. So this image is really cool, and there's just something cool about the idea of the Punisher being the only non-mutant hero that survived this future's version, or this timeline's version of the war with Apocalypse. There's just something cool that he's the, he's, it pretty much makes him out to be like, the toughest non-superhero on the planet. And that's cool. I, I dig that. So the Punisher tries to save Psylocke. He pulls a sword out. <laughs> and we get some really nice sarcasm from Psylocke. He's like, my savior, <coughs> the Punisher, <laughs> is the irony. <laughs> totally lost, Frank. And basically, Psylocke decides that she doesn't want to be helped, so she pulls a martial arts move on Punisher, knocks him down, and the Punisher's like, freeze, and he pulls a gun on her. And Psylocke's like, he pulls a gun, almost funny. But then she says, violence is first instinct, hard habit to break, I get it. And the Punisher's like, stop, no! And she's like, or you'll shoot me? And she takes a swan dive off of a ledge. But before we can see her go splat, Cable rides by in a hover bike and grabs her out of the air. And he's kind of espousing the value of this future. And Psylocke says, It's only peaceful because you murder anyone with impure thoughts. Cable says, She's oversimplifying. As she headbutts him, <laughs> she says, And who will kill us for our murderous thoughts, Cable? Basically saying, I tried to kill myself. Are you going to kill me for trying to kill you now? Or something like that. So she steers the bike towards the building. Cable jumps off with her. The bike blows up. He shoots a Batman grappling hook around a cool-looking statue. Psylocke uses her side blade and knocks him out. And basically, as they're falling to their death, she says, I've seen enough to know we were wrong. But then you get a bamf and a Nightcrawler cloud and another bamf and Nightcrawler's back with our X-Force with Future Cable and Psylocke. And Wolverine determines that she's dying. It must be his hypersenses. <laughs> and then... Future Wolverine shows up on a bike and says, you know, give her to me. You know, I won't let anything happen to her because you wouldn't let anything happen to her. And Silas, like, it's not your decision. She grabs a gun from Deadpool and she's about to kill herself. But then you see future Psylocke using her telepathy and signified classically for Psylocke like the butterfly thing. 
And she basically sues our Psylocke into kind of lulling her to sleep. So then they take her, and you get this funny scene where both Wolverines, our Wolverine and future Wolverine, are yelling at her to hold it together and don't close your eyes, and then it all goes black. <laughs> she probably got really confused and dizzy from seeing two Wolverines. One old and one young. Well, or not as old. So then Psylocke has a dream where she meets Angel in this paradise. Nice, really nice contrast to kind of the dark mood of the rest of this story. And basically, Angel says you shouldn't have killed yourself. You still have things to do. You're still a good person. Even Psylocke kind of complains about the things she's done. But she, Angel basically says, you know, you still have stuff you have to do. You're going to find new love. There's no reason to feel too bad about this. Maybe it's right. He says, forgive yourself. Find new love. Allow yourself joy. Enjoy your life and be glad for every day of it. And, and in the blink of an eye, we will be together again. Then she wakes up and then <laughs> she's in one of those minority tank, minority report pool tank things keeping with the, the theme and basically old Psylocke is trying to comfort her she accuses our Psylocke accuses older Psylocke of implanting the dream or manipulating it and she said she did it but I kind of question that because Angel really did speak like exactly how she would speak you know, he tried to convince her that Phantom X did the right thing, that they have to kill the kid apocalypse. And Angel, in that dream sequence, does a whole lot of defending this alternate future. Or this timeline. So I kind of share Psylocke's suspicion that alternate future Psylocke may have, have curved that a little bit. Though she plays it off as saying, well, I still dream about him too. So, it doesn't really mean that I had anything to do with it. They argue a little bit. Basically, future Psylocke tells Psylocke that they really did love Phantom X. But they will, over the years, get past all their pain and fall in love again. Our Psylocke says, you'll never convince me this is solu the solution to things. And she says, my dear lamb, I already have or we wouldn't still be here. So basically she's saying, you're still going to do this or this future wouldn't exist anymore. So nothing's nothing's changed the course or really changed your mind that much. And then they talk about how bad it is that our X-Force kind of knows too much about the future. <laughs> and we get a, a great line from Deadpool. Well, he says, well, I for one haven't learned anything and that helps any. <laughs> I really like the way Reminder writes Deadpool. I talked about that some last time. I, I really enjoy it. And then... It's hard to tell from the shadow. I think it's old Wolverine talking to our Wolverine, but he has such a thick and burly goatee. And no one in the previous scene has that thick and burly goatee, so I'm not... This is just a shadow silhouette sideways. I'm not completely sure who it is, but I think it's Wolverine. 
and I and from the conversation, I think it is too. Because he says, "I know what I did, and I know you'll find your way to it." And our Wolverine says, "I know that look. You're running a con. I know what you expect. I I'll do, but it ain't gonna go that way." And he says, "Let's just get you home and see." So then Punisher talks to our Deadpool. Yeah, I'll be glad when the story is over, just so I don't have to keep clarifying which character is from which timeline. I have to say ours and that one and this one and alternate and whatever. I can just talk about characters as is. But anyway, Punisher talks to Deadpool and says, you have to kill the Kid Apocalypse and Logan's Bastard 2, referring to Dokken. And then you go find that son of Archangel and you and future giant man cuts him off. And so is he referring to our angel as the son of Archangel? That kind of makes sense. That, that might be the way they're looking at it. That hasn't been spelled out. But maybe that's kind of... Because we have some... Um, the future here predicting our future. As I'll, I'll talk about another instance in a minute. So maybe that's a revelation that's coming down the line. There's a lot about our angel now after the whole world scene where they killed Archangel. I mean, there's a lot about angel now that we are still figuring out. So I don't know if he's referring to that like symbolically or if it really turns out that's what's going on, that it's not really. That maybe our angel doesn't have all his memories and stuff because he really isn't our angel. Maybe he is some kind of like spawn of Archangel and a completely new being. Maybe he's not Warren at all, but somebody else. That would be interesting. Uh, what do you guys think? I looked at my stats. I know at least a few people are listening. So uh, come on with the emails. I want to hear some opinions about some of my theories or, or sometimes lack of theories. And I need your theories instead. To replace the void in my soul. <laughs> anyway, Deadpool kind of goes off on him. Kill this kid. Kid that kid. Bang, bang, pow. Take that, Webster. Hasta la vista, Biva. <laughs> Look out, cute kid from Jerry Maguire. And then we get this awesome panel where he puts his thumbs and makes Frank smile. Like, kind of puppet masters him with, on the face. And that's great. And Punisher obviously gets mad, pulls a gun on him. And Hank says, how important is Wade to his... Or Frank says, how important is Wade to history? And Hank says, remember the thing with Zombie Nixon? And okay, that's what I was talking about. Because in the upcoming Marvel Now in a couple of months, dead, the new Deadpool number one is Deadpool fighting resurrected presidents. Or zombie Nixon and zombie Reagan and zombie Lincoln and Washington and whoever else. So we're referring in an alternate future to something that actually is going to happen in our future. Clever marketing, good storytelling, whatever, but I thought it was a nice Easter egg. They decide they're going to go back to the future or back to the regular time. They're going to get sent back. Looks like Psylocke is perfectly fine. And then alternate future whispers something to our Wolver alternate future Wolverine whispers something to our Wolverine. 
And they don't do the thing like last time, or not last time, in a, the first part of Sabretooth Reborn in the Wolverine book. We have a whisper, but it's just typed really tiny. And so if you squint really hard to get out of a magnifying glass, you can read it. Well, this is not tiny whisper font. This is just squiggle, squiggle, squiggle. So there's really no way to interpret what he said. Then they go back and Wolverine thinks, or future Wolverine thinks to future Psylocke, think he'll do it. And she says, we're still here, aren't we? And then they start mugging down. And it says to be continued. And we'll go on to the next issue. So basically we know that X-Force is going back to our continuity, our timeline. With, I guess, some lessons learned. Jerry's still out a little bit on exactly how important this little excursion was to the story. But I feel like there's some things that might pop back up uh, with uh, Nightcrawler. Uh, possibly even Deadpool, even though he played dumb. And we don't, we still don't know. I'm assuming we'll find out what future Wolverine told our Wolverine and how that plays out. And honestly, who knows how all this is going to affect Psylocke? She's already had doubts that have been very apparent about what she's doing in X Force. And this is probably just going to give more to that. And we'll talk about the last panel. At, at the end of this section when I get through the other issue. Um, but I'm going to give that issue two claws. Uh, I'm still digging what Reminder is doing. I'm still looking forward to the the storyline and where it goes. And it was a good issue with a lot of good one-liners and a lot of good action and just some cool art. So I'm going to give it two claws. Not bad, not bad at all. So then moving on to issue 30. We have a really nice cover by Opania this time. He's been he's been doing really good on the covers. Basically, we have like Nightmare Smallville, and we have Kid Apocalypse standing in the wheat field where he believes he was raised, and we have the Shadow King's head in the clouds, and the color on this with the orange sky and everything is awesome. I really I like this cover a lot. Alright, so basically where this story picks up is we know our X-Force team is jumping back to our timeline and they're going to come back in issue 31 because this issue is number 30 is called Final Execution Chapter 6 While You Were Away. And that's basically exactly what it is. It's basically catching us up to what the Brotherhood, the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is done or is doing with Kid Apocalypse while X-Force was gone. And I gotta say, I've been really digging the art all the way through this arc. I really like this Dave Williams guy. I don't really know. There's something slightly familiar looking about his art, but it looks like a good mix of, of some stuff I like. I don't really know off the top of my head if I've ever read anything he's done or not. I would have to like look at his resume online and see. I might do that here when we're done. I think a branch just fell in my backyard. Like a big one. I don't know if y'all were able to hear that or not. It was loud enough to disturb but not loud enough to pick up on the mic maybe. I will have to go check that out in a minute. 
and make sure it didn't hit the house. That would be bad. Well, I'm going to try to get through this issue first because I'm dedicated to you guys. So basically, we're picking up and we have, we start off with Kid Apocalypse or Evan on the farm with Uncle Cluster. He was basically Phantom X in a baseball cap and overalls. <laughs> so basically, Mob Paw Kent just kind of ripped off here, which is, I think, kind of the point. And basically, he's telling the story of the real apocalypse and how the X-Men defeated him. He says, you know, when the X-Men Wolverine learned of a reborn apocalypse, he formed a team to kill him. Only the monster was still just a boy. And Evan looked scared. He's like, did they kill him? And Phantom X turns around, kind of sullen. Uncle Cluster? And he walks away. Evan runs after him, trips on a rock, and bumps his head on another rock. Uh, probably should have taken some of the rock, big rocks out of the field before they were playing their game of catch, but, you know, whatever. Maybe they were supposed to be the bases. We used to do that, like, put out a big rock in my grandma's field for home base and, sorry, home plate. First base, second base, third base. So maybe that's what it is, and he's tripping over the bases. Ricky Henderson, he ain't. Uh, so they decide they need to get him cleaned up, and he goes to the bathroom. And he sees Apocalypse full, full blast, full grown, just Apocalypse in the mirror and Shadow King in the background. And he says, Uncle Cluster is the one that shot you, dear boy. And he gets jerked back to our reality and Shadow King sitting with him in the back of a trailer mobile home. We have Doc and driving and... Sabretooth eating fake Cheetos in the shotgun. And basically basically they tell him they're messing around with his head. There's Shadow King, the strong telepath, and he won't know what's real and what's not. And they just kind of chuckle about it. And they're driving to Kansas. To kind of taunting him that they're going to tell him the truth. And so Beast is yelling at Kitty Pride as we flash over to the uh, Jean Grey School of Learning. And Kitty's like, I don't know. We haven't seen him for days. And basically saying that Wolverine brought Kid Evan to the school, Kid Apocalypse to the school. He's been kidnapped and now no one can find Wolverine. Like, he needs to clean up his own mess, so to speak. Like, he brought him here. He made the, He caused this to happen. And of course, Beast, remember, is probably even more concerned, upset, because he had taken the students on a field trip to Genosha, and that's where Sabretooth and the Blob kidnapped Evan. And he says, or Kitty says, this means the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants are reformed. And Beast is like, we don't know that, it's just Sabretooth and the Blob, they don't equal a new Brotherhood. And Kitty's like, maybe, but my gut says different. It doesn't really matter. The question is, what are they doing with, with Evan? And then you have the new Brotherhood sitting around with Phantom X crucified to the wall. Or his body. And the skinless man has run a scan and they can't find any trace. 
So they assume X-Force was atomized when Ultimaton blew up their whole base, like nuclear style. Mystique's like, you think we really killed Wolverine? And one of these Omega Red people, like the, the spawns of Omega Red, the chick one is like, maybe Wolverine, or maybe Ultimaton just cooked all the flesh off his bones and he escaped, which we've seen that before. And then AOA Blob talks about AOA Nightcrawler and says he was beat up too much to teleport him out, so that's not what happened. And then they talk about they're excited to see what Dawkins and the Shadow King and Sabretooth can do with the boy, referring to Kid Apocalypse. And Miss, oh no, the Omega Red girl says, "Well, <laughs> not sure if we really know what we're messing with. This might come back to bite us in the ass." I'm gonna predict yes, as the reader. So these fake Cheetos are called Cheez-A-Tums, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Sabretooth offers him some, and, you know, Kid Apocalypse says, complains that the villains didn't just take him to take him on a road trip. He wants to know what they're going to do with him. <laughs> Sabretooth says, would a villain share his Cheez-A-Tums? And then Dawkins talks about how hero and villain doesn't really mean anything. It just depends on what side you're on. And he says, Everyone sees their enemy as a villain, kid. Hero, villain, these are words stupid people use. Stupid people like your teacher and father figure Wolverine. Stupid people like my dad, who also happens to be Wolverine. Get the resemblance? So they pull up to a gas station in the middle of nowhere and Sabretooth gets out. And they say that he's going to go on a rampage and kill everybody inside unless Kid Apocalypse stops him. And the only way to stop him is to kill him. So Sabretooth goes in. Evan shoots him with a blast. But it doesn't take him completely out like he held back. And we have sweet teas and onion dings. I always love like the fake products in comic books. We have cheesies with 100% calories per bite. <laughs> and basically, Sabretooth says you shouldn't have held back. And he sticks his claw right through a girl. Kid Apocalypse gets mad, but he can't really finish him off. So he's not mad enough. Sabretooth grabs him by the throat, takes him outside where Dawkins killed a bunch of people. And they drive off. Sabretooth pops, oh, Sabretooth and Dawkins both pop a celebratory beverage. Don't drink and drive, kids. Super villains do that. And they take him to the farm where they, where Phantom X led Kid Apocalypse to believe he was raised, like in that whole suspended animation with the, uh, crap, what's it called? Virtual reality, where he was raised on this farm in Kansas. And he gets out of the trailer and he runs inside, but suddenly, there inside are Dawkins and Sabretooth having slit the throats of his mom and dad. So now he gets really mad and he blasts them both out the window and he comes out with giant apocalypse fist and he starts beating on them. 
The doctor would get a little bit of his motivation. He gets mad and he's like, show me why you're the chosen one. Show me what makes you so special that my father, who has never done anything for me, has given you so much. We have a nice brawl here between Sabretooth, Dawkins, and Kid Apocalypse. And he gets earth enough. He goes, I'll show you power. And the letterer, giving a good shout out to Corey Pettit here. We get a nice change in the uh, letters and the dialogue as he kind of starts to show his real apocalypse side. And he picks them both up in giant apocalypse hands. He's like, I'll crush you, I'll... Ow. And then he drops him and he gets all stretchy. And Dawkins compliments his self-control. And then this is when they reveal to him some good news, bad news. The good news is we didn't really kill your parents, kid. The bad news is we can never kill them because they never existed in the first place. And then... On the cover of the next issue, we have X-Force in this cool, like, movie poster scene with uh, Wolverine in the front, flanked by Psylocke, Deadpool, Eva, and Nightcrawler. I'm assuming this is all coming to a head pretty soon. I'm going to give this issue three claws. The story was really good. I was glad to get back to our time. I did enjoy the alternate time better than I thought. But that said, I'm still anxious to uh, get back to this really cool story that we've been they had with the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and what they're trying to do with Kid Apocalypse and interested to see how Wolverine's going to try to stop them with X-Force. So I'm looking forward to the uh, battle that is sure to come. I expect it to be epic and awesome and dark and gritty and, and dirty and all the the things that Rick Remender has such a talent for. I expect some good one-liners from Deadpool, some good banner between Wolverine, Sabretooth, and Wolverine and Dawkin. My expectations are high as the story is drawing to a close. And that's good. I mean, they've built up a really good story, and I should expect a lot, and I hope to get it. So I give this one three claws. And I want to I want to talk about something here. All right, so in the end of issue 29, we have future Psylocke and future Wolverine kind of displaying that they're a couple. We have kind of hints throughout the issue that this is kind of the our future that we're going to see relatively soon, maybe. That something might develop between Wolverine and Psylocke uh, coming up down the line here pretty quick. And I was just wondering what everybody thought about that. Um, I'll, I'll drop the email again. It's definitely in the show notes. But it doesn't hurt to give it to you here. It's uh, snitcast at yahoo.com. S-N-I-K-T-C-A-S-T at yahoo.com I want to kind of take a survey. I want to know if you're listening whether you're in favor or against a current, present Wolverine and Psylocke's uh, thing. Whether you think they make a good couple or not. I think there's some interesting aspects to it. Obviously Wolverine 
I would say he has a thing for Asians, but honestly, <laughs> Wolverine has a thing for everybody. Redheads, Asian, Native Americans, brunettes, whatever. He kind of just likes women. He's, he's a man of many women. And, uh, excuse me. So there are ways that it makes sense and a way they understand each other. Two kind of things that, that maybe not so much want to see it. For one, I think they're a little too similar to really be that in sync, like romantically. Either I know opposites and track is just a cliche, and it doesn't always work out exactly like, and actually, to be honest, complete polar opposites usually don't attract as much, or it doesn't last. But I just, I don't know. I, I wonder if there, there has to be, there is some truth to that statement, and there has to be some opposites and some things that are different. And I just wonder if they're a little too similar with the whole, like, Ninja, Assassin, X-Men, Battle-Hardened, both kind of jaded, both... Well, they're both definitely realist. They've both seen a lot, been through a lot. I don't know. Maybe it's not that bad. Maybe, maybe Reminder will show some ways that they're really different and that's how it'll work. If, if this is indeed what's going to happen. The other reason I don't really know if I want to see it is because I think that would mean one of two things. And either Wolverine changes kind of course on what X-Force is doing, which that part would be okay, but I think that one's very unlikely. The other option for them to get together is Psylocke would not necessarily have to change her mind but at least backtrack or get over a little bit of this trepidation she's been having about X-Force. And to be honest, I've thought that character development of her doubt and kind of leaning towards getting out of X-Force has been really interesting. I really enjoyed her in X-Force, but I don't know. I think the idea of her kind of moving past that mentality is very compelling and I wouldn't mind seeing it. Even if it means she leaves the team and possibly leaves the book, I'm okay with it because I know we'll get her somewhere else. I mean, she's already in the adjective with X-Men book on that team anyway. So I know we will at least have her somewhere regardless. And that's interesting to me too. I haven't thought about that because that's a Cyclops-sanctioned team. And Cyclops is not really, he kind of started X-Force, but this incarnation of X-Force has really nothing to do with Cyclops. But Psylocke is on both teams. So that's kind of interesting. I haven't really thought about that yet. But anyway, like I said, I would love to hear your thoughts about whether, A, whether you think it's going to happen that Wolverine and Psylocke are going to hook up, and B, whether you want it to happen or not. So send them on in and let me know. And uh, we'll be moving on. So just to review and make sure, I gave Uncanny X-Force 29 two claws. I gave Uncanny X-Force 33 claws. And I'm really looking forward to Uncanny X-Force number 31. All right, here we go. Okay, so that's going to be a wrap for this episode. 
all for this week. Uh, want to plug again? Please email me if you have anything you want to say or argue about or praise or degrade what I'm doing, whatever you want to do. Uh, send the show notes, but again, that's uh, snitcast at yahoo.com. S N I K T C A S T at yahoo.com. Uh, please, um, give me. Uh, maybe go to iTunes and give me a review. I'd like a good one, but any review will do. You know, if you so are so inclined. Um, as far as next episode, um, I have something I'm gonna try to put together. Um, a little something, something. I don't really want to say too much about in case I can't make it work. That you know. You won't be disappointed. But, um, I will either do that as soon as I can get it done, or if nothing else, we'll be back here sometime in September for all your favorite Wolverine monthly stories in the various books. So, alright, until next time, take care of yourselves. Be good. Alright, bye.